Chapter 21 of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 21 Cinnaminta. Now that, said Cripps, is what I call the proper way of doing things. Arter all, they haythens knows a dale more than we credit em. Well, Miss Esther, asked Russell, turning to his other listener, what do you think about it now? Sir, she replied with her round cheeks colored by the excitement of his tale and shining in the firelight. I do not know what the manners may be among the gentry in such things, but if it had been one of us, we never could have supped with him. You are right, answered Overshoot. So I felt. Starving as I was, I could not break bread with a man like that until he should have cleared himself. He did not seem to be conscious of any dark mistrust on my part, and that was natural enough, as he did not even know me. But when I said that I must ride home as fast as I could, he asked me first to come and have a look at the poor little child. This I could not well refuse, so I gave my horse to a boy to hold, and followed him into the warm dry place, and into his own corner. As I passed and the people made way for me, I saw that they were genuine gypsies, not mere English vagabonds. There was no mistaking the clearly cut features and the olive complexions, and the dark eyes lashed both above and below. My gruff companion raised a screen and showed me into his snuggery. It was dimly lit by a queer old lamp of red earthenware and of Roman shape. Couches of heather and a few low stools and some vessels were the only furniture, but the place was beautifully clean and fragrant with dry fern and herbs. In the furthest corner lay little Tom with a woman bending over him. At the sound of our entry she turned to meet us and I saw Cinnaminta. Her hair and eyes and graceful carriage were as grand as ever, and her forehead as clear and noble, but her face had lost the bright puzzle of youth and the flush of damask beauty. In a word, that rich, mysterious look which used to thrill so many hearts was changed into the glance of fear and the restless gaze of anxiety. She knew me at once and asked with a very poor attempt at gaiety, Are you come to have your fortune told, sir? Before I could answer, her husband spoke some words in her own language, and the princess, as we used to call her, took my hand in both of hers and kissed it and poured forth her thanks. She had been so engrossed with her poor sick child that she had not known me on horseback. Having done so little to deserve her thanks, I was quite surprised at such gratitude, and it made me fear that she must be now unaccustomed to kind treatment. I asked how her grandmother was, who used to sit up so proudly at Cowley, as well as her sister, the little thing that used to run in and out so. As I spoke of them, she shook her head and gazed at some long distance, to tell me that they were no more. I could not remember the rest of her people except her uncle Kershew, as fine a fellow as ever stole a horse. When I spoke of him, she laughed as if he were going on as well as ever, and I hoped that it might be no son of his to whom I had trusted Cantaloupe, but of course I knew that gypsy honor would hold him sacred for some time, even if he were Bay Middleton. Then I asked her about her own children, and again she shook her head and said, Three, 
All three in one are now, and that is the one you saved. With that, while her husband left the tent, Cinnaminta led me to look at the poor little fellow in his deep, warm sleep. A beautiful little boy it was. A real princess might yearn in vain for such a lovely offspring, if only the stamp of health had been on him. But the glow of airy health and breezy vigor was not on him. Neither will it ever be, so far as one may judge by skin, clear, transparent, pearly skin, all whose color seems to come from under instead of over it. The more the wind or the sun strikes on it, the more its color evaporates. I fear that poor Cinnaminta's child will go the way of the younger ones. Poor dear, poor dear, exclaimed the carrier, rubbing his nose in a sad, slow way. I can guess what her would be to them. If her loseth that little unmind, well then, you will see if her doesn't go harder on. I believe that she will, replied Overshoot. I never saw any one so wrapped up in another being as she is. As for Joe Smith, her husband, and the way she treats him, I couldn't. No, I never could put up with it, even if it were... But, Miss Esther, why do you look with such a curious smile at me? Of such matters, what can you know? However, there goes your clock again. Cripps, I shall never get home tonight, and my mother will think I was poaching, because I will not send the poachers to prison. She believes that I must be a poacher myself. Now, verily, your worship, that bates all I ever heard of. How could a justice go a-poaching? Howsomever, he tried his best. Cripps, he might, I believe he might if he really did his best for it. However, let that question pass. Although it is highly interesting, I will try at my leisure to solve it. But how can I think of such little things in the middle of great sad ones? It really made me feel as if I never should laugh again almost when I saw this fine, unselfish woman controlling herself and commanding herself in the depth of her misery about her child. And when I thought how she might have got on if she only had liked education, and that, and to marry a fellow of Oriel. I assure you, Miss Esther, I began to feel how women throw away their chances. Of course, I could not hint at things disloyal, or what shall I call them? Unconjugal, perhaps, is what I mean, unexorial, or what it may be. But although I am slow at seeing things because I used to think myself too quick and have made false charges through it, I really could not help feeling sure that poor Cinnaminta had made an awkward tally with her husband. However, that was no concern of mine. She had made her own choice and must stick to it. But to think of it made me uncomfortable, and I could not speak then of what I wished to speak of, but took short leave and rode away. First, however, I got permission to come over again on the Friday, yesterday, I mean, and now I will tell you exactly what happened then. Your worship do tell a tale, said Cripps. That wonderful that us be almost there. They women takes a man, whether or no he will, and when they gets tired of him, they puts all fault on he, they do. There was a woman as did the washing over to Squire Pemberton's, nothing to look at, unless you hadn't seen done-up hair for a twelve-month, the same as happens to the sailors, and in here go roundings of no account for to catch the notice of a man much. 
but that very woman I'm danged of her didn't. Zachary, hush, said Esther, and the carrier muttered. Of course, of course, no chance of fair play with un. Well, go on, your worship. I have very little more to tell you as yet, Overshoot answered with a smile at both. You have listened with wonderful patience to me, and I am surprised at remembering half of what happened to me in a hurry, so I shall make more allowance for witnesses now when they get confused and hesitate. But, as I was going to say, I rode over to Nettlebed Common, or whatever it is called, in good time yesterday, so as to have a long, quiet talk with Cinnaminta, knowing that if she would not tell me the truth, she would tell no falsehood. As I rode along in that fine spring sun, my mind was unusually clear and bright. I saw to a nicety what questions I ought to put, and how to put them, and nothing of all the ins and outs of this matter could escape me. When the sun threw my shadow as sharp as a die, I could not help laughing to the open road and clear long breadth of prospect at the narrow, stupid thoughts we had been thinking throughout the winter. In a word, I was sure, as I am of my life, of finding sweet Grace Oglander and restoring her father to his fine old health and spreading great happiness everywhere. And thus I rode up to the gypsy camp, and there was not a shadow or a trace of it. End of chapter 21